Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. Your Sooners are 2-0 and and heading on the road to Lincoln for the first road matchup of the year against the uh, now uh, frostless Nebraska Cornhuskers. I'm your host, Adam Jacquez, alongside Tyler Burton this evening. Unfortunately, Corbin is out due to some work obligations, but we'll have his picks coming up a little bit later. Uh, first of all, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Oklahoma's 2-0. Uh, first road trip uh, coming up this weekend, going to Lincoln, Nebraska. You and I will both be making the commute. Uh, separate vehicles, but we will both be inside that stadium uh, wearing crimson. So, yeah, looking forward to it. But, um, you know, Corbin, I know he's got work obligations. You know, we've all got things going on. You would have expected a guy that, you know, is tied for first right now in the picks. Thought he would have been here, but... You know, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Corbin picked Nebraska to win the Big Ten West and represent that side of the conference championship. When you go one and two to start the year, uh, I guess he's just trying to save face. But Corbin, enjoy your time. Be careful out there in Vegas, and we'll see you when you get back. Yeah, so you are headed to Lincoln. I have my tickets already. I'm sitting in uh, the end zone. I think every, you know, three out of four (laughs) seats in that stadium are in the end zone. It's kind of a weird setup. Are you also in the end zone as well? Yeah, I'm in the end zone. I think I'm in I'm in either section 19 or 20. Okay. But it's kind of weird that the way that uh, Nebraska chooses to put away team fans, this will be my first time in that venue. My mom or my dad and cousin, who I'm also going with, they went a few years ago. Uh, it was the Landry Jones game, um, Oof. I believe. And I, Always I honestly think, <laughs> I think we're sitting in like row 70, but it's all one level. Uh, at least in the end zone. So it'll be a little bit high up there, but should be a good vantage point. Yeah, I will be basically the exact opposite corner that you are in over in the other end zone. And it is it is kind of weird. It is one level on the end zones. Then on the sides, I th- maybe it goes up to like row 50 or something. It's not super high on the sides. Then you have these massive press boxes. And then on one side, you've got a big upper deck. But for the most part, it's like everyone's sitting in the end zone there. And it's that's yeah. weird. That's you weird know, there's me. actually... There's actually still a good amount of tickets on the secondary market for this game. I was actually looking at it a couple of days ago, actually, before Scott Frost got fired. So I'm not sure what it's done to the market right now. But, you know, by I was talking to my dad, you know, uh, we paid X amount of dollars, you know, to get our tickets from OU, getting the visiting team a lot, but sitting where we are. And I think you, for what we paid to, to get them uh, through, through OU, I think we could be sitting on like the 35 on the OU sideline. But, you know, that that's one of the best parts about going to these away venues, Adam, is sitting with OU fans, you know, may not be the best seats. It's not what we're used to when we play uh, here in Norman, but th- there's just no greater feeling than going on the road with your fan base that makes up about 5% of the population inside that stadium. And hopefully Oklahoma comes out with a win on Saturday and we can celebrate accordingly. So wh- when are you leaving? Uh, sometime Friday morning. Uh, it's only okay. six, about six and a half hours from the north yeah. side of Oklahoma City here. So not too bad. Is Johanna going with you or guys trip? Yeah. or No, no, okay. no. I got the wife coming along with me. So I figured Big uh, Ten country, she'd be more reluctant to go back up there for this. So. <laughs> well, I, I always mentioned, I've been saying this on the podcast a couple times already, but I booked this trip before I booked any of our honeymoon. And our honeymoon was back in May. Program so, guy. Program yeah, guy through and I'm through. A, I'm a program guy. Um, had to do what I had to do. But um, it should be a fun trip. Uh, hopefully, we'll see a good victory from OU. We'll get in some some score predictions here at the end of the episode. And we'll dive in a little bit more on uh, the Nebraska game. Uh, but first, I want to say... We probably have some new listeners this evening. We've had a ton of new followers uh, join us on Twitter, mainly because Bob Stoops is retweeting us. Nick Harris is retweeting us. Gerald McCoy is retweeting us. So I don't know how you could be on Twitter and be an OU fan and not see one of our tweets over the last 24 hours. But if you did and you're listening to this podcast and you're not following us, go follow us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Find us on there at the Mainline Pod. 
and also on YouTube. Uh, you can find us there by searching the Mainline Podcast. Now, let's talk a little bit about Kent State. We don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because it's been a couple days already, but mm-hmm. kind of a strange game. The first half was, it, it felt like, you know, playing Army mm-hmm. a couple years back in a way where it's like, oh, what is going on? But then OU turns it on in the second half. Yeah, I expected this game. One, Kent State's offense was going to present a, uh, you know, a little bit of a bigger challenge than what UTEP we saw a week ago, and you know, kind of vice versa, uh, with the the uh, Kent State defense not holding up to what UTEP or UTEP had, especially on the front seven. But Oklahoma just, you know, I mean, where do you want to start? Just the inability to to run the ball consistently in the first half. You know, multiple three and outs. Oklahoma not being able to get anything going in the uh, in the passing game. Dylan Gabriel getting sacked, not throwing the football away. Uh, Oklahoma and Jeff Labor that we were just out of sorts in the first half. We were just kind of waiting and waiting, like okay, let's get a big play going. Let's start to find a little bit bit of momentum. And honestly, Adam, it took until the final drive in the first half with about two minutes left when we connected with Marvin Mims. You know, three to four plays in a row. It, it kind of felt like I, I think it was. Uh, Eddie that talked about it uh, on the postgame podcast, the the U40, you know, they, we kind of just nickel and dimed uh, Kent State down the field the entire final possession of the first half, but found a way to get the momentum going into halftime. And then OU, I don't know whether it was the LED lights, I don't know if it was the student section still being full going into the second half, but OU found some momentum coming out of halftime and they, they put the game away, um, you know, by scoring, I think it was what, three consecutive possessions to open up the third quarter. And the game was really, you know, out of hand once we turned our attention to the fourth quarter. But no, really uh, solid second half. We hopefully that this will be the week going into uh, game number three that we can see this team put four good quarters of consecutive football together. Um, and I think that that's what it's going to take to come out with a win on Saturday in Lincoln. And Adam, do you want to start? Do you want to start defensively with uh, Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman, kind of leading the charge for OU against Kent State? Do we want to go negative, talking about maybe some of the uh, the offensive line woes that reared its ugly head for the second consecutive week? It's up to you, man. Let's go bad news first. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the offense. It's kind of interesting. We keep saying the second half, everything was fine, and I guess so. Uh, but if you look at the box score and just taking a summary of everything. OU scored all 31 of those offensive mm-hmm. points in the span of about 16 game minutes. And then there was a safety in the fourth quarter. I know you kind of was just say, Hey, let's, let's wrap up and get out of here at that point, I guess. Um, Cause there wasn't a whole lot of foot on the acceleration there to mm-hmm. continue to pile on the points in the fourth quarter. The, the running game, seven yards rushing uh, through the first half, not acceptable in any way. And I, I think some of that maybe is Jeff Lubby's saying, Hey, I want to, try to run on the left side until it works and it just Mm -hmm. it wasn't i don't necessarily know that it was fixed in the second half Uh, we had 134 total rushing yards so 127 in the second half i guess that's good you put two of those halves together you're at a little over 250 yards that's that's pretty solid Mm -hmm. i'll take that i would love to have more than 300 yards against a mac team just because you know those guys are are (laughs) going to be significantly better but you texted me before one drive and just said hey watch andrew rame Watch uh, McCaden Mattire, who I still can't say his name right, even though he says it on the video board for all of us. And he just looks like he looks passive. He looks slow. He looks odd coming off the ball. And he's just not squaring up with his guy. Um, So it really makes me wonder, like, should we go with Bird at that point? Should we go with one of the the Jakes, the younger uh, Jakes that's a freshman? Just put somebody that is more physically, you know, going to be violent and go out there and, and take command of that particular situation. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of times, uh, you know, especially it was, you know, it was more noticeable in UTEP. He did play a little bit better against Kent State, but, you know, starting with Nebraska this weekend and you start talking about some of the defensive lines and front sevens that we're going to we're gonna go, in, go against in the Big 12, you know, particularly K-State, Baylor, Texas, from what we saw over the weekend against Alabama, that game is a lot more uh, intriguing, you know, from a competitive standpoint than, you know, I expected it to be going into last weekend, but, at times, you know, McKay. I don't know if it's if it's a timidness. I don't know if uh, if it's like a lack of athleticism compared to what we've had from some of the you know more pr- premier left and right guards that we've had within this program over the last decade that Bill Beanbow's been coached. But yeah, I think you're at a point now, Adam, where what we heard from Brent Venables today, we're going to get Wanye Morris back. That's going to keep uh, Anton Harrison right there at le- left tackle position. You've got Wanye at right tackle, but you still even though you feel good about Chris Murray and Ant and uh, and uh, Andrew Raymond at the center position, that left guard position I think is still something that could be a liability for this team moving forward. So, do you continue to go with McCade Matower? Do you throw a guy that maybe has a little bit of a higher ceiling, is a stronger, more athletic guy, and Savion Bird? It just kind of feels like we're at this point in the year, Adam, where you know you talked about it in the preseason. Bill Beanbow usually has four to five games to get this offensive line right before Texas. OU doesn't have that luxury. I, I don't care what Oklahoma fans are going to say. I expect a much tougher game in Lincoln this weekend than what a lot of OU fans are expecting. And Oklahoma, they're going to have to get the right five on the offensive line because you've got to start being able to consistently run the football, especially with you look and see what Jeff Levy likes to do offensively, pound the ball, running the game, play action, throw the ball deep down the field to Marvin Mims. So if you're not consistently running the football, that makes what Dylan Gabriel and Marvin Mims do way less effective. So Oklahoma's got to tighten things up on the offensive line, and it's going to be a good test on Saturday. And I'm very interested to see what having Wanya Morris back into the lineup presents, how much of a difference it makes. He's going to be taking over one of the tackle positions. Tackle hasn't necessarily been a problem the last couple of weeks. It's been more inside. So what does it do now you've got the best five offensive linemen together how do they gel this week? How does that cohesion build? Because uh, OU's offensive line is going to have to play well on Saturday for Oklahoma to get out of Lincoln with a win. Definitely. And we'll touch a little bit on the Nebraska defense and what we think OU can be successful there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about the receivers. Marvin Mims, excellent. Marvelous Marvin, of course. Mm-hmm. But for outside sure. of that, we're still looking for that number two guy. Braden Willis had a great first game, was kind of – non-existent had a couple drops uh against kent state on saturday theo weiss uh, six receptions 74 yards on the year he seems to be a guy that i think he can be reliable he could be that third down type of guy if if need be but oh you really hasn't been in too many of those you know gotta have it situations but he really hasn't been much of a focus either Um, Mm -hmm. and then all the way at the bottom with one reception nine yards on the season so far jaleel farouk I know there was a few times if you were in the stadium on Saturday, you saw him running behind the defender deep and, and Dylan Gabriel just missed him. So it's not that he's not open, but I don't know. The the rapport is not there. He's we we mentioned the name Charleston Rambo, but even Rambo was just force fed the ball in that 2020 season early on and just didn't make much out of it. Farouk still hasn't really gotten the ball and had the opportunity to show what he can do. Yeah, and again, when you've got a player like Marvin Mims, you need to force feed him the football. Uh, you know, he's our he's our best player on the football team. He's an impact player. He's a guy that can make plays with the ball in his hands. You know, whether it's catching the ball or on special teams that we saw from this previous week. Um, I'm, 
I'm in kind of a wait and see mode right now with Jalil Farouk because I still think um, offensively right now and, and even defensive as well, I still think that we're being very vanilla uh, in our play calling, which, you know, against two inferior opponents like UTEP and Kent State, you should expect to be able to show up with your vanilla uh, type offense and still be able to, to execute and, you know, put up big numbers uh, throwing the football and in the running game. But we'll see. Um, you know, Dylan Gabriel, I, I thought that, you know, even though there were a couple couple of throws he maybe wished he had, a, had back, you know, the Jaden Gibson throw, uh, if he puts a little bit more air under that, leads him a little bit more. You know, that's a walking touchdown for Jaden. Uh, you know, Braden Willis, the drop there, chances are he catches that football, turns up field. That's another touchdown as well. So I think that there's going to continue to be more opportunities for this offense to continue to be more explosive. But when you get into conference play, and I think it's even going to start this weekend because from an athleticism standpoint, Nebraska has the guys to challenge OU defensively better than what we've seen the first two weeks. So I don't think that Oklahoma is going to be able to um, you know, get you know, Marvin Mims 10, 12 catches. You're going to have to have a reliable second and third option, whether it is a Drake Stoops like what we've seen, or you start to see guys like, uh, like you know, Jaden Gibson, Jaleel Farouk, Theo Weiss, like you talked about. But you've got to find ways to spread the football around a little bit more, even though you're going to emphasize getting the ball to Marvin Mims early and often. So it's going to be fun to watch. Corbin's not with us tonight, but I know what his key to the game would be if he was, and that would be staying turnover free and keeping Dylan Gabriel's jersey clean. Yep. A couple of sacks uh, this past Saturday. Some of those may have been Dylan Gabriel's fault, but still 51 attempts through the season through two games. Dylan Gabriel does not have a turnover to his name. Did have a close call or two um, in, in either game. That's kind of the case as it goes with football. You're going to have some close calls. And so if he can continue to do that against Nebraska, I think that obviously bodes really well yep. there. So no turn. Um, do not turn the football over. Keep Dylan Gabriel upright, especially this weekend. Oklahoma is going to be wearing the icy whites. Let's keep those jerseys clean yeah. for, for number eight uh, th- this weekend. But, you know, Adam, I think that the OU defense, again, it's UTEP. It's Kent State. You know, like Brent Venables talked about today in his press conference, we're not beating our chest yet, I promise you, over what this defense has done. But, Adam, you can't – I mean, the stats don't lie. I know you put the graphic out yesterday. Number one in the country in tackles for loss. Number three in the country in sacks. They've given up just 16 points in the first two games. One total touchdown in eight quarters of football. So, obviously, this defense is doing something right. And that's where I think that this weekend is is going to be so much fun to watch. And I think that we're going to find out – a little bit more um, about this defense because this is going to be the best skill talent uh, and the best quarterback that Oklahoma's faced. And, you know, Danny Stutzman, uh, it, it we've seen it through, uh, you know, flashes last year, the first two games this season. It kind of feels like he's on the, tra- the upward trajectory of being the next great linebacker at Oklahoma. Still got a long way to go. You know, this is just his second start. He's a true sophomore. But when you start, when you think about some of the guys that played under BB, you know, the Rufuses, Calmus, Lehman, Curtis Lofton, Danny Stutzman has that potential if he keeps playing the way that he does. So, uh, again, Danny Stutzman, Billy Bowman making plays in the secondary. OU's front seven has been dominant um, over the first two games this year. Yeah, like I said, you know, number one in the country in tackles for loss. Seen a lot of really, really good things out of Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Jeffrey Johnson, and Isaiah Coe. Were, were two guys that came on strong this past weekend. You know, not necessarily filled up the stat sheet, but very disruptive. You know, filled those holes in the uh, at the line of scrimmage. And you know, Adam, we talk about it time and time again when you're when your linebackers are playing really, really well. They're able to get by. You know, in the backfield, create tackles for loss, make plays. That means that your front four up front is generating pressure and they're doing their job. So, 
Uh, it's going to be a really fun test this weekend against Casey Thompson, that Nebraska offense. But I think that OU defensively, uh, they're in a really, really good place right now compared to years past. Kent State definitely tried a lot harder than UTEP did in this particular game. I think UTEP kind of, yeah. UTEP is, is more limited offensively, but they almost looked more like the FCS team that comes into Norman every year and says, we're collecting our check and we're not getting hurt. And whereas Kent State was actually trying to push the ball downfield, they were they were doing a lot of weird shifts and movement before the snap to try to confuse this defense. Like they were actually trying pretty hard to, mm-hmm. to move the ball and they had yeah. some success, but at the same time you saw the resolve in that defense when maybe Kent state got three first downs on drive, you know, this defense you know, said, Hey, no more and, and held them mm-hmm. out of the end zone. That's the first time that OU defense has held an FBS opponent out of the end zone <laughs> since 2017. Ironically, one of the worst defenses mm-hmm. uh, under Mike Stoops, but it still, that's, over five years ago at this point. So um, a a big, big accomplishment for this defense. And you mentioned Danny Stutzman, kind of the star of the show this past Saturday. Go back and watch his highlights, and you'll see what he's doing really well is he's reading and reacting to the play very quickly. And then the three yards that it takes to get from wherever he's starting to the line of scrimmage, he's making those three yards like in a flash. It's crazy Mm -hmm. how fast he moves just once he diagnoses Mm -hmm. that play. Um, so I'm excited to see him continue to grow. He's going to be, I, he has to be a guy that, you know, the ceiling is absolutely contending for an all American type situation at this mm-hmm. point. Again, he's got to put a lot more together uh, throughout the rest of the year, but he's got all the tools necessary. I think it was interesting too, when, when looking at the rotation um, that Ted Roof and Brent Venables implemented on Saturday, we saw, we saw a lot more DJ Graham, um, Excuse me. At one of the cornerback positions, we saw a lot of Justin Harrington rotating in there. I thought it was interesting when when looking at the substitution patterns. Even though Deshaun White and Justin Harrington are both listed as you know one and two at that cheetah position, we saw a lot of cases where Justin Harrington was on the field at the same time with Deshaun White, and they pulled, uh, they brought, I believe it was, they brought Justin Harrington and Demon Harmon in, and they took out Igwebu. And Stutzman, you know, depending on the personnel, the down and distance. And I think that this weekend, Adam, and we'll dive into Nebraska here a little bit more in just a second. Nebraska's got some personnel that I think Justin Harrington is going to have to be on the field a little bit more than Deshaun White, especially in coverage, because Nebraska likes to do a lot of things in the, you know, in the passing game, 12, 12 personnel. Uh, they do a lot of stuff and looks with three, three wide receivers, one tight end. They've got some athletes get, that can test you down the field. So, Justin Harrington should be another one that OU fans should see a lot of this week. We saw a ton of Deshaun White, and unfortunately, he kind of seems like the scapegoat at this point. He was playing some deep safety at certain points, and it just mm-hmm. it didn't look right to me. Uh, even after the first game, I, I would have told you that I think Justin Harrington needs a lot more playing time at that cheetah position over Deshaun White. Harrington is basically already bigger than Deshaun White. 6'3", 215 listed on the roster versus Deshaun White, six foot mm-hmm. 222. To me, Harrington looks thicker as it is, but also faster at the same time. So oh, I think he's, he's a guy that... Too. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's definitely longer. He got that interception um, on Saturday. So I, he had the forced fumble in the spring game. Like I just think he's a dude that makes plays. Deshaun White mm-hmm. might be able to make consistent tackles but i feel like that's about it and he kind of feels like the traditional linebacker not necessarily under this staff but under past staffs that they just say oh he does the right things like he's Mm -hmm. he's like a coach on the field whatever whatever but then he doesn't actually make those plays so Mm -hmm. i would love to see a lot more harrington i think with the nebraska offense that we might see i don't think that we'll see deshaun white you know playing the single linebacker um so hopefully we, we don't see that but 
if all in all, you, you say all that and complain about all those particular situations. And yet Kent state didn't score a touchdown. I know. Like, I know. <laughs> that's just crazy to think about. We, we would be begging for this type of scenario three years ago. And, and here we are. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess, do you want to touch on the lights before we move on to the Nebraska game? I thought it was awesome. And that's the first thing that I thought about once I saw, you know, yesterday that Kansas State was announced as a seven o'clock primetime kickoff. I immediately thought of, okay, the light show, it's going to carry on for the, for the second consecutive home game. But I think that, I think it was it was good to see, you know, Oklahoma's trying. And, and you know, I, I do want to take a second. You know, we, me, you know, myself personally, I gave the student section last week and the fan base, you know, kind of a lot of grief uh, for, you know, the, the lack of environment, the lack of creating a hostile home atmosphere for away teams coming in. You know, the, the student section was full all four quarters. You know, the even though Oklahoma was up by 30, it was loud in the second half. It was a great atmosphere. And, you know, the, the light show, you know, we, we've seen Alabama, we've seen Georgia, we've seen some of the other big-time programs in the SEC have something like this. And when you can, whether it's touchdowns, turnovers, big plays, when you have the opportunity to do something like that LED light show where you implement it in with the music and match it up, that just kind of keeps the energy up in the building. That keeps the fan engagement and, the, and it makes the fan experience a lot better. And I think that, you know, the team feeds off that. And we heard about that from Venables and some of the guys in the post game that, you know, when, when the crowd's into it, when you got the lights going, it makes a difference on the field. So very fun. Uh, definitely approve. The first couple times they flashed the lights, it felt like it didn't work the right way. And I was like, yeah. this is this is kind of weird. I don't know if I like it, but then they got into the light show at halftime and, or not at halftime during a, t- a TV timeout rather. And it was a little bit longer as coordinated with the music. I was like, that's pretty cool. It is kind of weird. And maybe you want to call me a negative Nancy, but who knew that like flipping a light switch is what it takes to get OU fans excited about something. <laughs> I mean, but well, that I'll first time, that first time that they did it and it's just like the lights flickered on and off. I was like, okay, we paid all that money and that's it. Yeah. That's what we're getting. Yeah. But they worked on the got better. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How about how about the odd rendition of Oklahoma Breakdown that was impossible to it. sing along with? Get rid yeah, of it. I, I guess it if, was, you weren't, if you weren't in the stadium, you probably didn't realize this because it probably wasn't on TV. But I think it was the opening of the fourth quarter. They did a Toby Keith version of the Oklahoma Breakdown song which is a great song. I love the Stoney LaRue version. Mm-hmm. I love the Hostie version even. I think those are both easy to sing along with. His rhythm was totally off on like the timing of the words and so everything. so off beat, so off key. Yeah, I, I, was I really don't even think he sang some of the words right, the original lyrics. <laughs> so um, I'm totally let fine me, with him. Go ahead. Let me propose an idea here. Michael Hostie is a Norman native. It's his song. How cool would it be if he was you know, standing in the south end zone, you know, the corner there, the little area where you can stand in front of the concessions and he was seeing that and you had it live going on. I think that'd be way cooler to have that happen than to have a recorded version that is not by the original artist. Yeah, or just have, you know, the music recorded, give him a microphone, you know, let him stand in the yeah. south end zone or, you know, maybe corner of the field, you know, you play that song, do a big sing-along. Do it, do it in front of the student section. That'd be and perfect. He could stand on the wall and do it in front of the students. Like Toby, I know you're a big supporter, alumni, <laughs> but uh, not not that song with you. It, it was just yeah. it, was, it was off. Something was bad about it. I will say, I think they're trying to follow what Corbin suggested last week was just keep playing songs until people sing along. Just keep trying; it, it'll happen at some point. Maybe you do need to play that particular song over and over again. 
I don't think the Toby Keith version is the right one though. So we'll have more time to talk about some of the in-game elements, especially as we approach K-State and after K-State, because mm-hmm. that'll be a home game. But Sooners are on the road in Lincoln. What should OU fans be watching out for from the Cornhuskers? Adam, I think that this is going to be a much tougher game than than what many Oklahoma fans are expecting. Scott Frost is gone. Mickey Joseph takes over as the interim. So you know that's going to inject some life and energy into this team. Um, you know, when you've got an interim head coach that takes over during the season, you have to expect that there's going to be uh, a few new wrinkles that Nebraska hasn't shown throughout the first three weeks of the season. And, you know, Adam, we've talked on and on about what the atmosphere is going to be like inside that stadium on Saturday at 11 o'clock. Make no mistake about it. When this is their Super Bowl, if you're a Nebraska fan and if you're part of this team, after you start the year one and two, you get embarrassed by losing to Northwestern and now Georgia Southern on your home field. If you can figure out a way to upset Oklahoma on Saturday, that gives you a ton of momentum going into conference play, and that's a huge endorsement for Mickey Joseph. So Oklahoma is going to have to be ready to play from the opening kickoff because, like I said, I think this is going to be a much, much tougher game than what a lot of experts and what a lot of OU fans are expecting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was really, I, I really didn't want Scott Frost to get fired before this game because every time an interim coach comes in, it's whoever the players like the most. Mm-hmm. And so I guess a way or an analogy to put this into OU perspective that I thought of was, Let's think back to last year. Lincoln's still the coach. You know, it's kind of like when Bob Stoops comes in or it could have been any coach that they, they really like. Maybe it's Kel Gundy in that scenario that the players just love and they they play all their minds for. And that sounds like a possible threat to oh, you winning this game is you put the most popular guy, you know, at the head of the locker room and everyone says, hey, let's, you know, try to win something. And I mm-hmm. do think that Scott Frost kind of in the same way that uh, the Georgia Tech coached in that very first game against Clemson, almost to the effect of, I know I'm getting fired. I hate being here. I might as well just <laughs> make it easy yeah. for them. I'm, and he made so many baffling decisions as the coach at Nebraska just in these first three games. And now you don't have that guy making those decisions. Maybe you have someone a little bit more level-headed, a little bit more. I, I, I don't know what his decision process is going to be mm-hmm. like, but it just makes me wonder if he's going to be able to put that talent to use. I will say this. I'm a lot more nervous going into this game now than I was if Scott Frost would have been coaching it. Uh, but, Adam, let's not forget, too, just because you throw an interim coach in there doesn't mean it all, it's always going to work out. I mean, look at you know Marcus Freeman. He's the interim coach for the bowl game last year. He hasn't won a single game. They're 0-3 since he's been the head coach. But, yeah, I think you're exactly right. You always put nine times out of ten, you always go with the guy that's currently on staff that is going to be one. He's a player's coach. Players love him. They're going to play for him. They're going to get up for him. So um, I, I would expect to do- – I mean, th- those first 15 minutes of this game, OU's going to have their hands full. And that's where I think it's going to be on, you know, the the preparation th- this week and the mentality starting out on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. OU needs to put their foot down on them quick. You know, go out there, you know, go down, you know, score seven points, get, get it back over to your defense, go three and out, get off the field take the momentum, let the air out of the balloon early in that stadium on Saturday, and that's going to be pivotal for Oklahoma um, for, in this game to, to come out with a win. So, Adam, let's start with the Nebraska offense. When the OU defense is on the field, what to expect if you're an OU fan either going or watching the game from the home. 
this is hands down the best offense Oklahoma has faced throughout the first three weeks of the season. The best quarterback, running back, wide receiver group thus far. They're averaging 36 points a game, very balanced attack, around 288 yards through the air, 203 on the ground, a really good offensive team as well, Adam. Third down defense is going to be pivotal in this one. Uh, Nebraska is converting at a rate of around 60% on third down, so that's going to be benefit. That's going to be huge. Get off the field, get the ball back over to your offense, and you know, Casey Thompson, the only thing I wrote down about Casey Thompson, Oklahoma boy, OU fans, review Texas game from a year ago. Casey Thompson lit Alex Grinch in this Oklahoma's defense up. I know uh, Latrell McCutcheon's no longer here. Alex Grinch is no longer here. But from a skill standpoint, Casey, Ta- Casey Thompson has not been the problem with Nebraska football the first three weeks of the season. Casey's actually been pretty, pretty good. Um and Adam, I think you could probably even make the claim that he might be the best quarterback in this game on Saturday. Don't, uh, if you want to argue that, you can. But like I said, Casey Thompson is going to be good. Running back position, Anthony Grant, five foot eleven, two hundred pounder, out of Buford, Georgia, uh, who Brent Venables kind of gave a really big endorsement during his press conference earlier today. He's averaging over six yards a carry, five touchdowns. Wide receiver position. There's not really one name that sticks out above the others. There's some, you know, they've got some good playmakers out there. Marcus Washington, Trey Palmer, uh, the Garcia Castaneda kids, kind of a deep play threat. He can make some plays down the field for you. But Adam, the one guy that I'm going to be watching in this one, and this goes back to the Deshaun White, Justin Harrington position battle, who's out there on the field. Tied in Travis Vokalek. If I'm describing that right, six foot seven, 260 pounds. He was out last week against Georgia Southern with an ankle injury. Many people expect to have him back, and that's going to be an interesting matchup for the Oklahoma defense and who's going to be responsible for him in coverage. He's a bigger, more athletic Charlie Kolar. So whether that's Key Lawrence or Billy Bowman playing safety over the top, whether that's putting, uh, you know, the Cheetah, whether it is Justin Harrington or Deshaun White. Nebraska is going to be very multiple in what they want to do. They run a lot of 12 personnel. They love having two tight ends in the game. And, Adam, they really like operating out of the three wide receiver, one tight end formation, which presents a lot of challenges uh, to a defense when you've got a 6'7", 260-pound athletic tight end that can run. So, you know, we heard it from Ted Roof yesterday. Venables echoed the same sentiment today. Oklahoma's going to have their hands full on Saturday because this is a Nebraska offense that's putting up close to 40 a game and this is going to be a really, not really nice test uh, test for the Sooners. Vokalek had one reception for 38 yards last year against OU, which would be 14 yards more than the longest pass play currently given up by the Sooners defense. I think one of the most yep. impressive things that people aren't talking about uh, enough right now is the OU defense has not given up a play longer than 24 yards. Um, that's that's huge. I mean, you're you're forcing, especially like against Kent State, like we talked about earlier, you might give up a first down, two, three. But you're not giving up a 60-yard play that then they only have one play to get it in the end zone. So you're forcing yeah. that offense to make their own mistakes and to get out of, you know, just over time, you're going to win that talent advantage. And so mm-hmm. that's what I'll look for against this team. Casey Thompson had some huge plays against OU last year, and mm-hmm. he's a good quarterback. I'll have to disagree with you that he's the best quarterback on the field. I, I, I mean, it's arguable, but I'll disagree for the moment now, mainly because Casey Thompson still has three interceptions. That's one per game uh, going into this year. And Nebraska has played three mm-hmm. opponents so far. So I'll be looking to see if OU can kind of force his hand there. And then also the run defense for OU, really impressive. I think we held Kent State to 3.6 yards, and then UTEP was less than a yard per carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nebraska, on the other hand, you've got Anthony Grant there. 
I think he's actually 23 years old, spent some time at Florida State, New Mexico uh, Military Institute before he transferred to Nebraska. But now he's averaging something like 140 yards a game. Uh, and that's not all against North Dakota. He's had over 100 yards against every opponent the Huskers have faced. So this is by far the best running game and running threat that is going to test this defense so far. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, without Frost, who did have a heavy influence on the offense, mm-hmm. does that change things? Does it? Uh, who knows? I, I think that this is the game where through three weeks of the season, you find out if Oklahoma's secondary it has kind of taken that next step. Because like you talked about, you know, whether you're listening to the TV broadcast, you're listening to, you know, the, the play-by-play guy inside the stadium, you don't hear much mention of Woody Washington or Jane Davis or even, you know, Deshaun White. But that's not, that's not a bad thing when your corners and, and safeties aren't getting mentioned on TV because that means they're not giving up any big plays down the field. And that's something that we've grown accustomed to, you know, within the last five to ten years. You know, Oklahoma might play good defense for, you know, two snaps – but then that third play, they give up a 60-yard bomb down the sideline, and it just kind of puts you behind the eight ball. So Oklahoma has done a really, really good job limiting the big plays. Like you said, 24 yards is the biggest pass play that that's uh, uh, that this defense has given up. If that continues and if that's still in play on Saturday, that's, that's going to speak volumes, and that bodes well about Oklahoma's chances to win this game on Saturday. So, Adam, you got anything else before we flip it to the other side of the ball? Let's, let's talk a little defense because I think this uh, could be interesting here. The um, the the Nebraska defense. Okay, how deep do we want to dive into this? How honest do we want to be? This side of the ball has been the Achilles heel for Nebraska this season, that's for sure. In three games this year, they're giving up 31 points a game, over 200 rushing yards a game, and quarterbacks are completing around 70% of their passes against the Huskers. Oklahoma should have the advantage here. I say should because if you if you just go back two three days ago. Georgia Southern put up 642 yards of total offense on them Saturday, around 7.8 yards of play, and that team doesn't even compare to the talent that Jeff Levy has at his disposal. But it's on Dylan Gabriel and this offense to go out there and execute. Nebraska is big up front, particularly on the interior. They've got some big defensive ends that, if you listen to Brent Venables again, I encourage you to go check out his press conference today. Um, it's no more 15, 20 minutes. You know, let me, Mike, when can I get out of here? Like we've seen with Lincoln Riley, he actually goes in depth. He's honest. Uh, then there's definitely a sense of accountability, but, uh, Venables talked about it today, how much he likes their defensive ends, how disruptive that they can be. So that's going to be a nice challenge for guys like Harrison, Wanya Morris and Tyler Guyton. Um, and another thing, Adam, Nebraska fans expect to get their star middle linebacker back for this game. So while the defense, as bad as they've been through the first three games of this season, getting your star middle linebacker, kind of the general of this defense back, that should help their defense with alignment, communication. And like I said, with Mickey Joseph calling the shots now, expect some pressure early and often. They've seen the same tape we have uh, of our offensive line over the first two games this season. They they can tell that if they have if they want to have any chance in this game, They've got to try to get after Dylan Gabriel and force some turnovers. So it's on the OU offensive line. Nebraska has given up over 200 rushing yards to the two FBS teams they've played so far. And even North Dakota rushed for 175 yards. So weakness against weakness, uh, possibly. We'll see if OU can run the ball a lot more effectively. I think Marcus Major is the real answer here. He's I think it's not even close. He, he's it's being outrushed. Close. You're right, not even close. He's being outrushed by Eric Gray uh two to one on attempts so far. So it's not really a 
committee approach so far necessarily. Eric Gray is just not the lead back. He needs to be the changeup guy. And I think Marcus Major needs to be the leader out of the backfield there and, and take most of the carries. Javante Barnes actually, I think, has more carries than Marcus Major at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, he got a lot of run there in the fourth quarter. Uh, we still haven't what seen was, Davis Bevel throw a pass. Yeah, what was yeah. up with Gavin Sawchuck coming Comes in, in for the series. last play of the game so that yeah, he can yeah. sit there while they take a knee. That was so pointless. He just burned one of his four games to keep him as a redshirt. I don't understand it, which... I don't know. It, it just feels like poor management. I, I don't understand that. I, it's not likely that he would stick around for four years anyway. Running backs just don't if they're any good. Yeah. But at least keep your options open. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tommy um, Walker looked good too. Um, I'm still not buying any stock in him. I'm selling all of it. He's not going to yeah. have a real role. Um, so anyway, you got to figure out the running game. You'd like to think that Wanya Morris back solves that, but Brent Venable said he's been practicing with the scout team over the last three weeks. So mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily give me a ton of confidence that he's a plug and play type of guy. I think there's still a lot of chemistry issues that need to be worked out there. And then McCade Matire, a guy that I thought would be the plug and play, like reliable. We don't have to worry about him too much. He'll be, you know, somewhat consistent. He's turned out to be a huge disappointment. So we've got to figure out some things on the offensive line there and get that running game going. And maybe this is your get right game. The kind of like we saw offensive teams coming to Norman over the last several years and play against Alex Grinch or play against Mike Stoops. And they got right on offense and figured out how to score. And maybe that's what this opportunity could be for the OU offense to, you know, work some of those kinks out. Yeah. I think in a perfect world, if I could put my five guys out there for the starting offensive line, I'd obviously have Harrison at left tackle, Morris at right tackle, Ranger center, Chris Murray's your right guard. I'd like to see Savion Bird at that left guard position. We've seen two weeks of McCabe Matower. I think he'll probably get the first run uh, of this game on Saturday. But Adam, when you see what Nebraska has done the first three weeks in terms of run defense, if Oklahoma can't run the ball in Nebraska on Saturday, then I am seriously going to have to reconsider what my expectations are for this team going into Big 12 play. Because if you can't run against Nebraska, Baylor, K-State, Texas, OSU, you're not running it any better on those teams than what you are in Nebraska on Saturday. I know that this team's going to get better the more snaps that they play together, but Oklahoma's got to figure out a way to run the ball consistently on Saturday and force feed your best running back, Marcus Major. He needs to have... Uh, a huge bulk of the carries on Saturday, and making and making a point of emphasis too. If Nebraska is, you know, depending on the types of coverage that they play, try to get the ball to Marvin Mims, you know, often early on Saturday. Get Dylan Gabriel into a rhythm, run the football. If you want Marvin Mims to have a big day against a secondary like this, better athletes than what we've seen the first two first two weeks, you got to run the football. That's going to open things up in the play action game down the field uh, for Marvin Mims and Jalil Farouk, hopefully. Uh, to make some big-time plays. But, Adam, if I knew right now how our offensive line was going to play on Saturday, I think that we could confidently predict what we th- what we would expect to happen on Saturday. Is, 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 is it too easy of a cop-out to say the offensive line is basically the difference between this being a three-touchdown win and this being a, t- uh, a tough game going late into the fourth quarter? Definitely, because we've seen the disparity in time of possession and number of plays run so far in the first two games for OU. I think part of that is because we haven't been able to run the ball effectively. Part of it's the pace and tempo, which is good. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just haven't been able to run the ball effectively. And I think that could mean the difference because you do have a team that's demoralized right now. They might come in juiced up, but the first time of adversity, you know, if OU can get up 21 to nothing or something like that, do they do they fold and the game's over at that point? Mm-hmm. I think that could be be pretty critical. 
Um, I know we're going to do score predictions here at the end of the episode. Is there anything that you, else that you want to touch on for the Nebraska game before we start using the last 20 minutes to talk about Big 12 and some of our bets going forward? I just think, you know, we continue, Brent Venables talks about it, you know, time and time again, you know, we're consistently building this team for team 128 to ultimately turn into, you know, the, I guess, realize and fulfill the the potential that this team can have. And I think that this is a big, you know, this is a big game, not just because it's OU Nebraska, not just because, you know, you're revisiting one of the greatest rivalries and, you know, traditions in college football history, but this is the first time that Brent Venables is going to take a team on the road into a hostile atmosphere. Um, Dylan Gabriel's never played in front of a crowd like this before where you've got 85,000 fans against you. So uh, we saw, even though Alabama was the better team, how they should have been the better team on Saturday, uh, the crowd in Austin, that environment, it can force you to make some mental mistakes and you know create some penalties. So Oklahoma's going to have to play clean. Don't turn the football over. Keep Dylan Gabriel upright. Tackle well in space. Uh, and do and don't give give up any big plays and Oklahoma should be fine. Yeah, this team has faced adversity, even though small adversity against UTEP and Kent State uh, faced it and handled it very well um, so far. Mm-hmm. But the test gets bigger as the season goes on. I think and, ha- and how crazy increasingly get better and better. Yeah. So well, and how crazy is it too that you know going into week three we're more confident in the OU defense than we are the OU <laughs> offense. So yeah, is that I, I got to check my temperature. I don't, I'm not sure if that's allowed. <laughs> we'll we'll see let's uh let's talk a little bit about the big 12 conference as a whole and maybe some other national uh teams but we kind of did this last week i want to give this segment a little bit of a name i don't know if we'll, we'll stick with it or not i'm going to call it drawing conclusions here i'm going to give you an or statement and you're going to okay. tell me which side of that or statement is true now the, for the listeners both sides of that could be true but for the sake of hot takes and getting Tyler to pick a position and a side here, I'm going to force him to pick one or the other. So let's start with the team that you just mentioned a moment ago, Texas at, uh, at Bama. Texas exposed Bama's weaknesses, particularly on the offensive line and the receivers. Or this is the same song and dance where the Longhorns played up to the competition. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, let me try. How am I going to answer and this? I'll, without... you know, I'll also throw in while you're thinking of that one, the defensive line for Texas looked very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, the offensive line looked very impressive. That was probably the biggest surprise was that those quarterbacks had all the time in the world to throw uh, for the Longhorns. So uh, I guess defensive line, you could throw that in there as a potential weakness for Bama. I think, I think there's a lot that remains to be seen on this, Adam. Um, after watching the game and trying to make sense of it, I think that you can you can definitely kind of chalk it up to two things. One, Texas played extremely well, and Alabama was <laughs> very sloppy. They didn't play like the typical Alabama teams that we're used to seeing from Nick Saban over the last decade. Some of that was due to lack of discipline, stupid mistakes. They had 15 penalties for about 100 yards. Uh, and, you know, Adam, the, probably the most glaring thing for me Alabama's offense outside of Bryce Young in the final six minutes of this game, they were not able to run the football. They were not able to make big plays through the air. Uh, Now, you put some of that on Alabama being a little bit off that day, but you've got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, And Texas played a hell of a game on Saturday. Texas should have won. I'll say that. That's okay. Texas was the better football team on Saturday. They still should have won despite Quinn Ewers getting thrown or getting hurt in the first half. That was not a roughing the passer, by the way. We're getting too soft in society. Um, but, you know, Adam, their defense is light years ahead of where I thought that would be uh, in year two of Pete Kwiatkowski. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, having a second year in the system. 
Maybe that's, you know, the Gary Patterson effect. Maybe it's a combination of both. But um, my biggest takeaway from that game on Saturday, and we see it every year in the Cotton Bowl, when Texas gets to play a big-time opponent, OU in the past, Alabama this year, Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, uh, Joe Burrow's LSU team that, you know, narrowly escaped in, in Austin a few years ago, they play their best brand of football. So I'm confident that we'll see the exact same Texas team down in our, down in Dallas here in three weeks when OU takes the field with them. But what's going to be interesting to watch is how does Texas play when it's not a brand name opponent on, on the other sideline? And do they continue to play down to their competition like they've done so for the better part of the last decade? And we'll see if they can take care of business against UTSA this week. So you're choosing this th- is the same old uh, Texas song and dance. I think that I'm going to say that Texas exposed that Bama does not. Bama is, I don't know if it was just a one-off, but I'm going to say that the way that Texas played on Saturday, they showcased that Alabama's offensive line is not up to, to par of what it's been in years past, and Alabama does not have the skill talent like we've seen uh, uh, Jalen Waddell, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, uh, so, yeah, I'll go with the first. Texas exposed okay. some of Bama's weaknesses. S- some high praise for our friends down in Austin. Next up, let's go nationally. After some SEC East teams faltered, uh, Florida, South Carolina took the L on Saturday. Tennessee had to go to overtime to beat Pittsburgh. Uh, Georgia won't be challenged until the SEC title game, or Kentucky was a real challenger all along and has a legitimate shot to win the East. Yeah, this one's easy for me. It's Georgia up here. It's Georgia up here, Adam, and everybody else in the SEC East is way down here. Maybe they slip up once, uh, but I don't trust anybody else on the, on that side of the conference to go unblemished throughout the regular season. Uh, Georgia gets Florida in Jacksonville at the end of October. They get Tennessee in Athens. I know that Josh Heupel's kind of get looks like he's kind of got things turned around in Knoxville, but are we really expecting Josh Heupel to go into Athens, Georgia, and knock off Kirby Smart's bunch and? You know, you mentioned Kentucky possibly being a realistic threat to win the SEC East. Georgia's got to go to Lexington and take on Kentucky at the very end of the season. But to me, Adam, uh, Georgia has too much talent, too much quality depth, too good of a coaching staff to not run through the SEC East this year. And, you know, kind of feels like it's the same song, different verse with, you know, Alabama and Georgia. We're not going to know how good these two teams are uh, until they they square off in December uh, in the Superdome in Atlanta. So, George is not going to be touched. I would love to see an SEC title game of Kentucky versus Arkansas, but uh, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think Georgia still is the the big favorite in the East and probably Alabama in the West as well. A lot of people have written some uh, uh, eulogies for the Alabama program after a loss, and it just has Ooh. never come true. So I, I'm not going to be able to buy it just yet. Uh, number three here, Lance Leipold will get KU to five or more wins this year or West Virginia is a bad <laughs> team and made a huge mistake giving Neil Brown an extension after the 2020 season when they went to the, uh, I think it was the first responders bowl in Fort mm-hmm. Worth. He has about a $23 million buyout at this point. Huge mistake. Massive mistake. It's got to be West Virginia here. Kansas to win five games or more this year is still too much of an ask, in my opinion, for Lance Leopold. Now, not taking anything away from them. They're 2-0. They just went on the road to Morgantown and knocked off Neil Brown's West Virginia bunch. But to get to five or six wins... They've got to win the next two weeks in a row uh, at Houston. And then Duke, if if Kansas starts out the year 4-0, I don't know what I'll do. Uh, but if they don't win both of them or split one and one, it's still hard for me to find two more wins in the in conference play for Kansas to get there. So I'm going with Neil Brown. 
he's 17 and 20 at, at West Virginia in his time there. He's 0 and 2 to start this year. It's going to take a lot for the Mountaineers this uh, this season to make a bowl game um, because there are no gimmies in the Big 12 this year. And you know the one that you thought you had as a layup, you know you, you just you just lost to on your home field. So um, Scott Frost is off the chopping block. Neil Brown is about to be on it. I just that $23 million buyout's too rich for West Virginia, in my opinion. So I do agree with you. I think that was a huge mistake to give him that extension. How they, how long did they extend him for? I'm not sure how many years it is. I just I just saw the dollar figure, but Kansas does have an opportunity to get some wins piled up. Houston this weekend is a, is a critical one. Duke the uh, following weekend, Duke was supposed to be one of the worst power five teams, but um, they've looked pretty good so far. You've got Texas Tech, you've got uh, Iowa State on the schedule. Uh, there's a path there for Kansas if they are legitimate, but yeah. I'll, I agree with you there. I think West Virginia is just bad. Yeah, Let's, after uh, after Neil Brown led the team to a 6-4 and four record in a COVID-shortened season, West Virginia uh, gave him a two-year extension. He is now on contract until 2026. Yikes. So. Baylor's got a pretty good coach, but their offense had some struggles in Provo this past late Saturday night. Um, not the greatest performance there. So the Bears' offense holds them back from a return trip to Arlington or BYU is a legitimate college football playoff contender? To me, this one's easy as well. I'm not sure. I don't know. That was Blake Shapin's first real, you know, uh, road environment that he played in. Didn't play didn't play all that well. Baylor really wasn't able to run the football. Kicking The kicking game was an issue for the Bears. But um, I think that they'll get better. BYU is a really, really good football team. I think that especially from what we've seen from Stanford and and through Notre Dame the first two weeks of the season, those are the two big-name opponents that are left on BYU's schedule outside of Oregon this week. But if BYU can find a way to run the table, I still don't know if they're a college football playoff contender. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that Baylor's offense will continue to get better as the season goes on. But, yes, I think that Blake Shapin uh, and this offense could be the difference on why they don't make a return trip to defend the Big 12 championship. I'm gonna I just side can't with see. You. I can't see BYU getting let in. Well, because we I'm saw Cincinnati a year ago. Yeah, I'm gonna side with you for the moment. I do think BYU is a lot closer to a Power Five team than a Group of Five team. Um, so I'm gonna side with you that Baylor's offense is gonna hold them back from the Big Twelve Championship game this year. But if BYU wins at Oregon this Saturday, I think I would flip that answer into BYU being a legitimate uh, playoff contender. After that, they get Notre Dame in Las Vegas. They get Arkansas at home. Uh, they're at Stanford and then uh, a mix of group of five schools uh, throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the year. So there's enough quality meat and quality wins that I think they can get, but not so overwhelmingly difficult of a schedule. And they could have, you know, top 25 wins um, with Notre Dame mm-hmm. and uh, and Baylor. So yep. they could look pretty good. Last one here uh, before we get into our bets. Iowa State is a legitimate Big 12 titer contend- title contender after <laughs> winning in Iowa City over their rival, the Hawkeyes, or... Kirk Ferentz is in for an ugly and awkward firing for his son, similar to the Bob Stoops cameo that was pretty awkward <laughs> oh that we God. saw the other day. Yeah, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Iowa State is a legitimate Big 12 title contender. Matt Campbell and the Cyclones, they finally 
got the monkey off their back. They took down Iowa first time in six years, first time for Matt Campbell. We all know I love me some Will McDonald. That defense is, uh, is looks like that they are good for, for another uh, consecutive year. Hunter Deckers, the, you know, the freshman quarterback, might already be a better talent than Brock Purdy. Um, they've got a very favorable schedule, Adam. You get Baylor, K-State, and Oklahoma all at home. They all have to go to, a- or all have to, go to Ames. And then I know you've got to go to Austin. You've got to go down to Stillwater. But if you hold serve at home and you can figure out a way to take two out of three against Baylor, K-State, and OU, find a way to split, get one of those games in Stillwater or Austin, I think Iowa State is definitely a dark horse to be one of those two teams in Arlington. I'm not there yet, so I'm going to go the other side, that there's going to be a really awkward and uh, ugly situation between Kirk and Bryant Ferentz where the fans basically are just going to demand that he gets fired as offensive coordinator. And so uh, it's not going to be comfortable for anyone. But, that, put uh, Kirk, that puts uh, Kirk Ferentz's wife um, and his son's mother in kind of an interesting position as well. I mean, you, your, your husband's got to fire your son, <laughs> poor guy. But, yeah, that Kirk – God, that Iowa offense. I don't know what's worse, Iowa's or, or Texas A&M's offense. Um, like I told oh, you. It, it, it's Iowa for me at this It's point. bad. So, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Um, I can't believe but, we haven't even touched on A&M. Yeah. Well, if we had more time, we, we certainly would. But let's wrap up here with our bets and our score predictions for Saturday. Corbin uh, is tied for the lead, 7-3 and three with, uh, with you, Tyler. I'm a few games behind at 5-4-1. Let's do winners first. Tyler, lead us off with your first bet of the week. Yeah, pick number one for me. This could be a sneaky competitive game this weekend. Kansas traveling on the road to Houston. Over-under on this one currently set at 56.5. It's continued to go down uh, as we've you know continued into the late afternoon hours. Uh, Kansas, make that an undefeated Kansas Jayhawk team uh, taking on the Cougars. Kansas has put up 55 and 56 points in both of their uh, wins this season to go along with Houston's 37 and 33. So I think we're looking at a shootout on Saturday between these two teams. So I'm taking the over 56 and a half. And even though I feel good about it, Adam kind of scares me that the number's that low considering the offensive output that we've seen from these two teams. I had that same game. So that is my, my number one pick as well. Kansas leading all FBS in scoring points per game at 55 and a half. Now they did get some overtime to help them get there for West Virginia, but mm-hmm. uh, Houston, no slouch on the offensive side of the ball. Clayton Toon leading the attack there. I've got Corbin's first pick and he's actually going with us to Lincoln in this scenario. He's got Nebraska covering the 11 and a half against OU. This game opened at a 16 point favorite for OU earlier this week. Although way back in the offseason, I think it was like a four and a half point type game or yeah. something. So yeah. it was all the way up to 16, now down to 11 and a half. This game scares me a lot. So I agree with Corbin here. I think Nebraska probably keeps it as a one score game, uh, but it, the line has dropped quite a bit. So it's we'll kind of funny. The line, so. I think the line's dropped almost five point or th- three to four points since Scott Frost got fired. So, you know, Vegas yep. is kind of banking on, you know, what we've been talking about for the last hour. Uh, pick number two for me, Adam. Um, they're calling this one the Peanut Bowl. At least that's what Spencer Rattler has said on his on his multiple NIL Instagram posts in South Carolina loss to Arkansas this past weekend. Georgia traveling to Columbia, South Carolina to take on Shane Beamer's Gamecocks. Georgia beat them by four touchdowns, and it really wasn't that close a year ago. They were up five scores going into the fourth quarter. Kirby pulled his starters. Adam, South Carolina only had 40 rushing yards last weekend in a loss against Arkansas. Uh, so that's bad news when you're going up against Georgia's front seven. Spencer Rattler's thrown three picks to just two touchdowns so far this year. This one's going to be very, very ugly. 
in, in Columbia this weekend. So give me Georgia in the points. Spencer Rattler, the same old Spencer Rattler that we saw last year, can do some really amazing things, but then also just can't sit in the pocket and deliver the mm-hmm. pass and then looks incredibly slow running the ball. Uh, go ahead and give us Corbin's number two there. Uh, yeah, Corbin um, looks like he is he's going Vanderbilt at Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois favored by two and a half, and he likes Illinois, or Northern Illinois to cover the number in this one. So Northern Illinois minus two and a half over the Commodores. Yeah, I like what Rocky Lombardi, the Michigan State transfer, did for that offense last year, leading them to the MAC championship game. So uh, we'll see if they can knock off an SEC opponent, even though it's at home. For my number two, you laughed at me last week, Tyler, for picking a game that was kind of off the radar. But guess what? It counts as a win just the same. And so I'm sticking with that same method here. I'm going with a familiar foe, UTEP at New Mexico, UTEP minus three. I think the miners can pull off this win. Uh, I saw a stat. I couldn't verify that it was necessarily true uh, because New Mexico has played an FCS team and they they throttled them pretty good. But there's a stat that said New Mexico has only been successful on 15% of their total offensive plays. And I watched a lot of their matchup last Friday night against Boise State. I can confirm that is probably a generous number in that particular oh, scenario. Boy. So I think it'll be close, but I think the Miners can pull that one off. Uh, number three for you, Tyler. Uh, number three for me, I am going out to Pac-12 country. Adam, I said on the pod, on the podcast last week, I am going to bet USC a ton of this a ton this season, simply because this is year one of Pac-12 defenses against Lincoln Riley. USC has way too much skill talent, led by Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison. They're going to score as much as they possibly want to against Fresno State on Saturday. So twelve seems like way too num- low of a number, but screw it, give me USC to cover the twelve. That is Corbin's third pick. I'll stick with that same game that he has on the list here, USC to cover the 12. Uh, I I wanted to pick Fresno State. It just felt a little too risky there, so I left that one off my board. But Corbin, confident in uh, Caleb Williams and crew being able to score Mm -hmm. some points just like you had there. My number three, I'm taking the over at Toledo at Ohio State. Both great offensive teams. Toledo um, returns a lot of offensive production, scored, you know, I think, 36 points per game last year, and they're continuing that through the first couple of games this year. So I don't know if Ohio State scores a ton, but um, they may not score. They could score all 60 of those themselves, or they could be a combination of the two teams, but I think there's enough firepower there to get it over 61. Yeah, I think that's a good pick as well. Um, pick number four for me. Staying in Big 12 country, uh, Tulane traveling up to Manhattan to take on Kansas State. Kansas State, this is a number that's continued to fall um, today uh, as we speak. Kansas State favored by 14.5 points. Uh, K-State has outscored their first two opponents by combined 74-12, and they're coming off a 40-12 win over Missouri. So, just, Adam, what a shit show of a program Missouri's got right now. I hope that money was worth it, Luther Burden. Uh, K-State is averaging over 250 yards rushing while holding their opponents to just 245 total yards a game. We're all very familiar with Tulane, uh, this team. They almost came to Norman and shocked Oklahoma a year ago. Tulane's quarterback is back, Michael Pratt, but I just don't think they've got enough firepower to to keep up with Chris Kleiman's bunch. So give me K-State and the 14.5 on Saturday. Adrian Martinez has yet to throw for more than 101 yards through the first two games. Now, I know there were some weather concerns against Missouri, and they are kind of big and didn't need it, but I'd be very concerned about that as a K-State fan. Uh, Tyler, give us Corbin's number four pick here. Corbin's number four pick. um, Looks like he's in agreement with me on this one. He's taking Georgia to cover the 24.5 at South Carolina on Saturday. 
classic Corbin picked the good team and just roll with them. And mm -hmm. uh, it worked well for him last year. My number four, I'm going to the Carrier Dome. Purdue at Syracuse. I, this is a pick em game. And so in those scenarios, I know Syracuse is at home, but the Carrier Dome doesn't necessarily scare me as a tough place to play. And I really like Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback for the Boilermakers, a lot more than I do like Syracuse's Garrett Schrader. Schrader's a good quarterback, kind of came on the scene, took over for Tommy DeVito midway last year. He's a good runner, but he's not necessarily the, the biggest, you know, passer. So I think Purdue's got better players just being a Big Ten team. So I think that they can go into Syracuse and take away the victory. Uh, that leads us to our final picks of the week. Tyler, what you got? I've been 2-0 riding with Oklahoma the first two weeks of the season. I so desperately want to want to take OU to cover the points in this one. I told I told a buddy of mine earlier, if the line was able to make its way all the way down to OU minus 10, I would take Oklahoma. But 11.5, I just don't like that number. Um, so for this one, I'm taking a flyer on Joey McGuire's group. Texas Tech going out to NC State, your part of the country, Adam, the big city of Raleigh, North Carolina. Texas Tech is a 10-point underdog in this matchup against the Wolfpack. I, I like what Joey McGuire's doing. I like their quarterback, Donovan Smith, what he's done in the last you know game and a half since his, since his number's been called. I think 10 is too big of a number what's going to be a high-scoring affair. So give me Texas Tech. I'm not sure if they pull the upset, but I trust their offense to keep them within 10 points in this one. I don't trust either of those teams, so I stay far <laughs> away from it. Uh, Corbin, finally getting on the on the bandwagon for Kansas. That's his final pick. He's got the Jayhawks plus 10 at Houston. Hey. And last year was a team, he rode Kansas to a, a title in the Pick'em Contest by picking yeah, against yeah, Kansas yeah. every week. He's finally come to the other side, and he's going to go with the Jayhawks now. So we'll see how that works out for him. My final pick I wasn't sure which way to go with this. So I said, you know what? I'm going back to my roots here. Liberty at Wake Forest. The over-under is set at 63. I'm taking the over. Sam Hartman Love back this. for the Demon Deacons. Uh, he may score all 63 of those himself. Liberty defense has been, been pretty solid, but I don't think that they've been truly tested yet. They played Southern Miss that really didn't have a quarterback. UAB, um, not exactly the most explosive team. But then on the flip side, You've got Liberty, who actually went to their third-string quarterback at this point. Charlie Brewer, our old Baylor friend, uh, I think broke his arm in the first game. So ended up third-string quarterback came in. Caden Slater or Salter was supposed to be a guy, a four-star recruit that was supposed to go to Tennessee. Ended up having some different situations where he ended up at Liberty. Maybe the next Malik Willis, but I think he's good enough that uh, he can score some points and help uh, along with Sam Hartman to get that over. So yeah. Let's do score predictions. I do want to give some shout outs because we asked Twitter on this. And I kind of wanted to get a gauge just on what people felt. You know, are they more or less confident in this game after the Scott Frost hiring or sorry, firing <laughs> up at Nebraska? We got some pretty good responses. I won't go through all these. I'll just read the best of them. Uh, Dylan at the Sooners one. He said 37 to nine. No touchdowns for Nebraska. I don't know if I can be that bold to go there yet. Um, and then we got right, some pretty close. Yeah, we got some pretty close ones. Greg at OU Hoops fan. Greg went 27 to 24 OU. Everybody picked OU across the board there. Average margin of victory was 18 points, uh, which I would be thrilled if we got that. But I think what we're thinking, we're probably a little bit tighter. Tyler, what's your, your score prediction for Saturday? 
again, I, I'm basing this entirely off of, you know, what is the offensive line going to be able to do? Um, I think that from a defensive standpoint, Ted Roof's bunch, this, like I said, this is going to be the best team that Oklahoma's defense has had to go up against. Casey Thompson is a more uh, than competent uh, quarterback. He can give this team fits if they're not assignment sound and they don't play, uh, you know, to, to, to the scheme that they're running. I think that this is one where I think it's going to start off slow. Uh, I think that this is going to be a very competitive game for a half. I think that both teams are going to trade punches uh, back and forth. But eventually, I think that very similar to what we saw a week ago against Kent State, once we get into halftime, the offense is going to make some adjustments. The offensive line is going to come out and play better. And we can kind of lean on that Nebraska D-line a little bit. So I've got Oklahoma winning this game. I don't have them covering the 11.5, but I'm going to take OU to win 34-23. to I've got OU in a one-score game. I've got uh, 28 to 23. I think this is going to be a, a nail-biter type of game. And I, I'm coming in at that perspective of just survive and get out of Lincoln. Um, you know, this is a team that's got talent. Uh, they've got dudes on the team. They're going to be playing out of their minds for a coach that they love. And I think it will be a little bit lower scoring. And I think probably this OU offense doesn't have all the kinks worked out just yet. I think they will at some point in the year, but I don't think that this is the week that we see that necessarily. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that OU can win by, you know, 17 points and get that running game going, but I just don't see it yet. I also don't think it's necessarily a sign that this is just not the team that's going to make the playoffs this year. I think there's, we've seen that in years past where OU struggled early in the year and worked things out by the end and, and found a way to get there. So OU 28, Nebraska 23. God, I hope it's not that close. It, it's been really refreshing, Adam, um, through the first, I guess you could really even say over the last nine months, but through the, through the first two weeks of the season, accountability uh, has been something that you kind of have to praise this coaching staff and a lot of the players as well. You know, even though they are 2-0, even though they, you know, only have given up uh, 16 total points defensively, you know, they're putting up good numbers offensively, they still know that there's a lot of building and a lot of growth that this team still has to continue. So um, it, it's it's going to be a dogfight. I think that I think that you will no longer after this game be able to say, okay, it's inferior competition. We'll see what it looks like going into Big 12 play. Nebraska is a good enough football team to where they're going to be able to highlight whatever deficiencies Oklahoma has on both sides of the football. So um, I guess Corbin's feeling the exact same way as, as what I just said, because Corbin actually has this as a 35 31 win for Oklahoma. And God, if it's, if it comes down to a one possession game late in the fourth quarter, Nebraska's got the ball and driving, um, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat, but I just, I could see Oklahoma winning by winning by seven. I could also see Oklahoma winning by 21. So again, offensive line, Bill Beanbow's group, show up, run the football. Georgia Southern put up over 250 yards on them on the ground a week ago. You've got the horses. Levy, Coach Levy, give Marcus Major the football. I do not want to see 16 carries versus seven in favor of Eric Gray. Marcus Major's your bell cow. Eric Gray's your change of pace guy. Feature Javante Barnes a little bit more run the football, let's take care of business, and come back to Norman Thorino. Nebraska, I think, has only played in two games against FBS opponents that were not one-possession games in the last, I guess, what has it been, 15 games. And one of those was Ohio State, which was a nine-point game. One of those was Northwestern last year, 56-7, to but then turned around and had a one, more than one-possession loss to Nebraska uh, here in the opener. So, Adam tell, me I'm, Adam, tell me I'm wrong on this. This is a lose-lose type of game for Oklahoma. If you beat Nebraska, 
no matter if it's by seven points or if it's by 30. Nebraska's one and two. They got beat by Georgia Southern, and they got beat by Northwestern. Oklahoma's supposed to win this game, so you're not really going to gain any credit from the national media, but if you lose, then Oklahoma is going to be kind of the cl- the the clown um, that everybody's going to make fun of over the next four to five days. I don't see it that way because I'm not the national media and I don't care what they say uh, at this point. They've been down on OU so far and Hey, just go out and keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. And that's all that I care about. Um, you know, they're going to say negative things about OU because that's what they've done. They, they really don't like OU now that Lincoln's not around. So I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised. No, none of us put the, none of us put this pick on any of our cards. Does Texas A&M beat Miami Saturday night? Wanted to stay far away from that one because I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen there. <laughs> it will go off the rails fast in College Station if Miami if Miami takes care of business against the Aggies on Saturday. It's not is I mean it's it's bad from the outside, but uh, talking to a couple of guys that are close to that program, there's some panic in College Station right now. I'll say that things may not be quite as good uh, in you know sunshine and rainbows as what it appears from the outside. Well, hopefully we're talking about Texas A&M when we meet again next week for the next episode of the Mainline, because I think that could be a very good thing in that scenario for OU. So hopefully we're having the opportunity to talk about that. But until next week, uh, thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. Make sure to subscribe, you know, wherever you find us on your podcast app, uh, find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod and of course on YouTube as well. And we will see everyone again next week for the Mainline Podcast. 